Good morning to you. I'm sorry. Good morning to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Lord, as we study your word today, we just need help. We need grace. We need to see things we've never seen before, and it needs to pierce our hearts. So, Lord, touch us today, and I pray for people watching online that you draw so close to them that many, if not all, would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Now, at Church of the Savior, since I'm a simple guy, all my messages are very simple. Can you guess what the message is today? I mean, just out of curiosity, can you guess? Remember, everything's on a what grade level? Third grade level, so I can't go any lower. And the answer is always where? On a screen. There you go. Let's make it kind of simple. So what are we going to talk about? Talking about reading your Bible. We do this every year. This is one of the most important things. Everything starts with this. If you never learn this, you're never going to be strong in the Lord. Now, let me, uh, if I can get my little thing to work here. I just want to make sure I say over and over and over what we're about. Here's our vision. Our vision is very simple, but powerful. And that is we want to see lives transformed. Say that please, lives transformed by the presence of the Lord. He's the only one that can change a life. He's the only one that can change a heart. I can't do it. I can't even change my own. I need him to break in. I need him to show up. I need him to give us the grace we didn't have before. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 21. You got a Bible? Hold it up. Let me see your Bible. Everybody got a Bible? Bring a Bible. We got some out there. Be glad to let you have one. 2 Kings chapter 21, and chapter 21 is about this guy. His name is Manasseh. Everyone say that, Manasseh. And he is King Josiah's grandfather, and he did more evil. Have you ever known anybody to do evil? He did more evil. He brought more damage to his country than anybody who lived in the Old Testament. He's the number one bad guy in the Old Testament. And uh, look at chapter 21, verse number 1. Manasseh was how old? 12 years old when he became king and he ruled 55 years. Could you imagine a 12-year-old running our country? Don't say that. Don't, <laughs> don't get me in trouble. Smart Alex at the first service got me in trouble, so don't you say that. (laughs) Can you imagine a 12-year-old with unlimited wealth? Can you imagine a 12-year-old with nobody who had the courage to say, I don't think you should say that or do that. So he did whatever he wanted to. And he ran the country into the ground. Look at verse number 2. He did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all the pagan nations that were around them. He rebuilt the altars, verse number three, the high places that God wanted down. He worshiped the stars in the heaven. He built altars. 
He built pagan altars in the very temple of the Lord. You're talking about poking a bear. Verse number six, he burned alive his own children. He put carved images up and God spoke. Look at verse number nine. God spoke to him and he spoke to the rulers around him and he spoke over and over and over and they never listened. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons, before the sons of Israel. Reign 55, long, miserable, horrible, disgusting years. You should read more about him today. Second Kings chapter 21, read it. And then the parallel passage in Chronicles and Jeremiah 15 verse 4. Uh, somebody asked me, how bad was he? Somebody Thank you very much. He was so bad that God said, I can't hold my nose anymore. I'm going to destroy the nation. That's pretty bad. And uh, let me tell you what God did to get his attention since he wouldn't listen. He allowed 200,000 Babylonians to batter the walls down of Jerusalem. They found him hiding in a closet. They drug him out. They put hooks in his nose and probably his chest, and they made him walk behind a chariot for about 600 miles to Babylon. By the way, God can get your attention if you keep not listening. Pick your poison. And in solitary confinement, he, he woke up. He went, oh, my daddy was a good man. My daddy talked about the things of the Lord. There is a real God. And I hereby repent of my sin and I commit to follow him. And Nebuchadnezzar allowed him to come back to Jerusalem, but it was too late. The nation was still doomed for destruction. Now, I'm only going to do about half the message today. I already know that. got too much stuff in here. And there will be a lot of material that will not be in your notes. Sorry. You can flip your outline over. There's some space at the bottom. But let's go to the next chapter, chapter 22. Now, Manasseh's grandson is named Josiah. How old was he, verse 1, when he became king? He was 8. Here's a difference. He had godly mentors around him. Do you realize you're only going to be as good or bad as the people around you? And they taught him to pray. They taught him to walk with God. They taught him to do the right thing. And then in verse number five, and actually starting in three, he says, we are a people of God. We are worshipers of God. My granddaddy destroyed the nation. He bankrupted the nation. He killed the priest. And he almost destroyed the temple. We're going to rebuild the temple. So he raised money to build this huge renovation project of Solomon's temple. 
Verse number 8. One of the priests said to one of the scribes when they're doing construction, Hey, we tore down a wall and inside the wall we found something in a clay jar. What have we found? The people of Israel had lost their most precious treasure. They almost lost the word of God. It could have come down to one single document left because his grandfather hated God and tried to destroy every one of them. And if you, I turn over to the rest of the verse, in verse number 10, one of the scribes said to the king, Hilkiah has given me a book. My guess is they didn't even know what it was. So this, at this time, he's 26. This is in the year of 622 BC. It's documented in history. Josiah said, we got to see what's in this book. So it was at least Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, maybe Psalms, maybe Proverbs, And as the scribes read it to the court, this young king grabbed his royal robes and tore them and said, we are in trouble because we have offended the God of heaven and earth. And we're going to have a horrible path going forward. And so in the next chapter, he brings renewal to the country. They make copies of the scripture. They start reading them. They institute prayer. They refurbish the temple. They have the greatest Passover that had ever happened, maybe even before in Moses' day. And the nation had a revival. Guess what our country needs? A revival. And it starts with the word of God. Now, I want you to pay attention. Don't daydream. If you daydream, we'll have to go over this over and over till three or four o'clock, something like that. So here's my question. Is truth objective? It's the same thing all the time? Or is it subjective? Because people sometimes say to me, well, truth for you may mean that, but that's not what truth means to me. I have a different truth. Well, really? Are you kind of making it up as you go? I got a picture of a scientist. Science is objective. The medical world is objective. Mathematics. Did anybody have any math in school? Any math? It is objective. The flight industry is objective. I want the guys in the control tower to know what they're doing and not invent stuff up on the fly. Literally, the fly. How about this? I built a couple of houses, and we built some stuff here. Is architecture subjective or objective? It's very objective. The beam needs to be this long. We need this much concrete. We need these Many 
shingle and construction. The construction business is very objective. Manufacturing is very objective. If your pastor ever goes to Waffle House, I've been there a few times. And I'm going to get me a waffle for lunch or breakfast or whenever. I do not want the cook at the grill to start experimenting with my waffle. There are 6,000 waffle houses. It is the same recipe every single time. I don't want you reinventing your stuff because old Steve is here. You may say, I want to put gravel in it this time to see if he likes it. I won't. Or maybe dog food. Maybe Steve would like a little dog food in the batter. No, you have a recipe. Stick to the recipe. Same waffle, Utah. Same waffle, Miami. Same waffle, Lexington. Everyone say, same waffle. There you go. Now, here's, here's another question. Who determines what is true? There's a lot of confusion in our country about... What is truth and who determines it? Does the White House determine what is true? They think they do, but do they? I don't think so. How about this? Does the Congress determine what is true? Those knuckleheads can't do hardly anything. Excuse me. I'm a little opinionated. I think they think it's about themselves, not about what is true. True. How about the Supreme Court justices? Are they the one who say, we know better than everybody. This is what is true. I don't think so because they go five to four and six to three and they can't make up their mind. I think they do this. How about this? What do you, how do you really think? How about pop stars? Can pop stars say, well, this is, this is true. Count on how, count on what I feel, what I'm telling you. How about journalists, supposedly journalists who've been around for 600 years? By the way, she died on Friday at age 93 and she woke up in another realm in front of her creator with her giving an account for her life. People think just because you're a talking head on a cable news news work uh, news station that you know what you're talking about. Hey, I was in the radio business. I was in the newspaper business before I did this. And guess what? They're all a bunch of weird people. I guess he hired me because I was weird. How about this? Well-known novelist, does she determine what is true? Or how about this? Young entrepreneurs that are billionaires. It's on Facebook. It must be true. I think the scriptures, I think the creator is the one. He decides what is true, what is right and wrong. So point number four. Just, I want this to register how people think 
determines how people behave. Is that true or false? How you think determines how you act. It's internal before it is external. If that's true, here's another point, point number five. If a person or a city or a church or a denomination or a nation turns its back on what God says is true, that's what's going on in our culture right now. Where do you think this is going to lead? Nowhere good. The church, the denomination, the family, the business, the city, they all walk away from sanity. I read a little sentence that Manessa thought it was a good thing to take his young children and place him on a burning bronze altar to a demon god and leave them there. And he influenced Israel to do the same thing. His grandson, Josiah, got tired of hearing the screams of children. And he took the military out the gate that is now called the Dung Gate. And he went down into the valley, the Valley of Hinnom, where they sacrificed these babies. And he called all the false priests the priest to Baal and Dagon and to Asherah and said, you know what? You like to sacrifice lives and bones to demon gods. Guess what? You're next. And he killed those guys, burned their bones, and made that the dump heap of Jerusalem. That's why it's called the Dung Gate. But our nation is losing its mind. In November, our state had a chance to vote and protect little ones in the womb. Now, I know Kansas failed in that the month before. Christians thought, we'll just go in there and vote and save babies' lives, but millions of dollars came in that tricked Christians into believing a lie. I thought it wouldn't happen in Kentucky. I talked to you guys about it. I talked to pastors about it. I don't think they talked about it to their churches. We put signs out, say yes. And instead, when we woke up on that Wednesday morning, 52% of people in Kentucky said, nah, we don't have to protect babies. I was floored. We're going to take our finger and put it in God's eye. We're not going to get away with this. Now, one of the reasons I felt like last year we needed to study the book of Revelation, which most churches won't touch with a 10-foot pole. I get it. It's not easy. It's threatening, but I felt like we needed to do it because we're getting closer to the time of the book of Revelation. 
Things are changing rapidly. And one of the things that's going to happen in Revelation is something called deception. Everyone say deception. And it's going to come like a flood on our country. It's going to come like a flood to the churches. And I think it is already here. Chapter 18, verse 23 says, All the nations were deceived. So this is already playing out. You may not even know about this. Through the Senate where it started and passed, then it went through our House of Representatives in Washington, and then our president signed this act called the Respect of Marriage Act, which is a such a false term. That's how the devil works. And he signed it into law December 13th. And there were, it was mainly Democrats, but 13 Republican senators signed on. And they said this, we were guaranteed that it won't affect the church and Christian adoption agencies and so and so, so and so. I'm just saying it gives our government the ability to weaponize this against people who stick to the biblical foundation, one man, one woman. What are we thinking? Now, I want you to look at the faces. <clears throat> this picture will be before the eyes of the Father. And these people will one day stand before the eyes of the Father because what God created is good. They said it is not good. And, you know, I've just wondered. I, I think about stuff a lot. How can people in leadership make such stupid decisions? How do they hurt our country? How do they reach this conclusion? Does common sense not prevail? Well, let me tell you what happens, okay? This is how it happens. If people are not born again, they're not saved by the blood of Jesus. If they have, I didn't say they weren't church members. If they're not saved, if they do not respect the scriptures they will be deceived by demons. It's just the way it is. An unsaved person is going to listen to the demonic world that speaks every day, every day, every day, every day. There's only two places to get leadership. One is from the demonic world that has told you and me to do horrible things, say horrible things, and not do the right things, or by the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth, and the other thing is the values that our culture has had because of the book. And there have been enough Christians in our country for 300 years that have loved the book. They, they're seeds of honesty, of being faithful in your marriage, of doing the right thing, of hard work. And we still have the benefits of the lives of those people. But it's disappearing fast. The values are disappearing fast. So your only options, every person in the world, is to be led by the Holy Spirit and the values of Scripture to do righteousness or to be led by your selfish, self-promoting flesh fed by the voices of demons. That's it. That is it. 
and I just want to help us. The person in this room with the highest IQ, with the most education, is no match for the constant lies spoken to your heads, the deception spoken to your heads, the evil voices spoken to your heads and your heart of unclean spirits. Unclean spirits are fallen angels who are now demons that serve the dark Lord Satan and they have a limited amount of time before Jesus is back and deal with all of them. But here's what Jesus said when he gave the commission to the 70. I give you authority over unclean spirits. You don't have to listen to them. You don't have to obey them. You don't have to. You can tell them to go away in the name of Jesus and they have to. But, or not be afraid of them. Greater is he in you than he who's in the world. But if we have a whole generation of people, even Christians, even pastors that don't believe they exist, and they don't believe in the power of the invisible heavenly realm, they are already deceived. They are already deceived. Let me give you a perfect example. In November, I was asked to go to South Carolina and speak at my home church, church I grew up in, for its homecoming they have every year. I spoke there 20 years ago. I've not spoken there since. They asked me to come back. It was a great honor. A lot of my family is already with the Lord, but a lot of people I led to Christ are still there. It is the most beloved place on earth. If you look in the corner right there, my family is all buried right there. Been three church buildings on that property. My grandfather, when the first one, a wooden structure was struck by lightning, he was there at midnight in a horse and buggy directing men to remove the burning debris to get ready for the next building. Even though I rejected Christianity and rejected the church, I went to a series of services there. On the last night, I gave my heart to Jesus by myself. Someone say amen. Amen. 50 years ago, last May, May 10th, changed my life. That's where I got started in ministry. Started leading a youth group, nobody had to do it. Started leading a singles group. Started leading a marriage group. Start, I was a chap, chaplain in the high school football team. I ran a fellowship of Christian athletes huddle. And when the pastors wouldn't teach or preach on Sunday night because they didn't want to, frankly, they were lazy and they had no, no love for the scriptures, I did it as a layman. And the lay people grew like crazy. They gave me my start in ministry. That's where I married my wife. That's where my children were dedicated But I was speaking on this passage, reading the scriptures. Every four years, I get a new pastor, some good, some not so good. So I'm speaking on this, and I just made an offhanded comment. Excuse me. 
I just said, you know, here in Carolina, you guys may not have this problem, but we got some problems in Lexington. I said, for instance, in Lexington, in our school system, if a little seven-year-old boy decides he wants to be called Lisa and he tells the teacher that he wants to be called Lisa, the, the teacher is required to call him Lisa and not call the parents. I said, in our, in our area, we're going to vote on Tuesday whether we're going to protect life in the womb or not. And when I said that, the 45-year-old pastor's wife sitting right there stood up, took her two children, walked down the aisle, walked in front of me, and walked out the door. I got a call a couple of days later from that young pastor saying, I want you to know I got, I'm going to have to talk about your sermon this Sunday. And on Sunday, he took 10 minutes and two services. He said, I want you to know that Steve violated the sanctity of our pulpit. We are an all-inclusive church. We are a church where safety is the primary focus. I kind of felt a little bit like John Wesley had been saved only four years. He got invited to speak at his home church where he was raised. His daddy and granddaddy were pastors there, St. Andrew's Anglican Church. There it is right there. And when he got went to the door, he was met by the clergyman in his black robe with his white powdered wig and said, by the way, we declined the opportunity for you to speak here. You're no longer welcome because you're preaching contagious her- heresy. You know what he was preaching because he got radically saved? You must be born again. The church folk didn't like that. And so what the little five foot two minister did, he went to his daddy's grave right there by the front door. He took a step, got up on top of the grave and he preached the message. You must be born again. People gave their heart to the Lord. There's a picture of it right there. And at the end of his sermon, he said something like this. Well, since I have no longer a parish the world will be my parish someone say amen Amen. and revival hit Great Britain bless God you say well Steve this is kind of tough stuff here you're talking about are you are you casting stones are you judging people and I just want to say absolutely not I got no stones to throw because I got a failed past. I make mistakes too. I got a clay feet. But let me tell you what I'm not going to do as a pastor and as a Christian, as somebody loves people, I'm not going to legitimize some stuff like lying. I tell people lying is wrong. I tell people stealing is wrong. I tell abusing people should never happen. Drunkenness, and I was guilty as a teenager. I was a teenage drunk. That's going to go nowhere good. Taking the life of an innocent, I will never say that's good. Using dopes that you shouldn't use is not good. Adultery is not good. Having sex before marriage with anybody will only eat you up inside. Homosexuality, I got a lot of young friends who tell me they're gay I've taken them to lunch. I've hugged them, told them I will help them anytime. But I will say, let me tell you, sweetheart, I will never tell you you're right. This is going to ruin your life. You've been seduced by an unclean spirit. 
I will never never tell people pornography is good because it twists people on the inside. I will never say witchcraft and Satanism and all kinds of other religions are good. I will never say put anything before Jesus. I will say idolatry is bad. Unbelief is a path that will destroy you. Do not feed unbelief and doubt. Feed your faith. I will never say foul language is good. I will never say bitterness and unforgiveness is anger is a good thing. It will rip your insides out. I will never say being lazy is a good thing. Have I missed anybody else's sin? Hold your hand up and announce your sin. Stand up and say, you missed mine, preacher. I got some up there. But I'll never say it's good because... All sin is rebellion. Everyone say rebellion. God says this is right. God says this is wrong. Sin is destructive. It will always hurt you. Well, people say, well, aren't all sins equal? They are equal in this light. All sin is rebellion, but the consequences are different. If I get mad at my neighbor... And I yell at him. I even use bad language. I don't do. But if I use bad language and even if I threw my shoe or newspaper at him, that's bad. I shouldn't do that. But if I pulled out a gun and killed him, that's different consequences for everybody. Do you make sense? And here's what's going on in our day. Truth is objective, but I don't want to be objective about my sin. I want to justify my sin. Now, your pastor is saying we all need forgiveness. Don't we need forgiveness? All of us need forgiveness. And all of us not, need not to just forgiveness. We need to get clean. So we don't have that deal. We do not need to validate people's sin. Don't validate it. You only hurt them. Don't say you love them. I haven't even gotten to the sermon yet, have I? Now, the only way not to get tricked and deceived by darkness, are you ready? I've been deceived. Is to methodically read this book. I've gone through it every year, front to back, for 50 years. This is the only thing that has kept me close to Jesus and kept me from saying it's not worth it anymore. The second thing is to be a strong woman of prayer, to be a man of prayer. If you learn these two things, you will be successful at everything you touch. And the third thing is to be deeply involved, not in a perfect church, there's not any, but in a good Bible-centered church. I have never met a single person smart enough or tough enough to walk with Jesus by themselves. It's impossible. The pressure is too great. Shall we get to the sermon? Why not? We're here. Why not? Only going to do part of it. I want to talk about four things. 
that reading the scripture will do for you. And if you're 12 and you figure this out, you're going to go places. If you're 42 and you figure this out, this will bring healing. Whatever you're struggling with, this will bring healing to your inside and your outside. So here's the first one. Number one, over your lifetime, this is the most important goal you can ever focus on. This is it. There's nothing greater. It's not winning the Heisman. It's not being rich. It's not marrying a trophy wife. Here it is. It's to know. Everyone say no. And to understand. Everyone say understand. God. To know and understand God. That is a great adventure. That is the most important thing to be good at. Now let me read this passage. Now this is in a war setting. Where the Babylonians are battering the walls of Jerusalem. And the Lord tells Jeremiah, tell the people what they need to focus on. Read it with me, please. Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast in his strength. Or a rich man boast in his wealth. Okay, so what's important? But let him boast that he knows and understands me. Because notice this. I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. These are the things, the Lord says, I delight in, and none of you care about it. Number two. So if knowing God is the greatest thing you can accomplish... You never will get there perfectly, but it's a journey. It's the scriptures and prayer that are the primary ways to know him. And you have to learn to feed yourself. I'm going to tell you something, and it's sad, but I'm going to tell you, most pastors do not read their Bible. They only read their Bible to get ready for a message. And that is not feeding yourself. Most worship leaders, most youth pastors, most missionaries, they don't do it either. It's his book. Is the record of how he thinks. And how God thinks about any subject is more important than what anybody else thinks. From Isaiah, I want you to read this. I want to explain it. I want you to read it with me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And this part, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's saying, Steve, Steve, the way I think is completely different than the way you think. It's the distance between heaven and earth. And the way I do things is different than the way you do things. But you got to hang out with me. You got to learn how I think and how I see things. Number three, this is, this has been so rich to me. This is worth a million dollars. The scriptures are your greatest antidote for discouragement and depression. Now, 
As a young man, I struggled a lot with depression. I'd be down for three days. I'd be up for four days. And then it would just cycle. It's very easy to get discouraged. I want to ask you all, be honest with me. How many of you struggle with discouragement and depression? Hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. Be honest. Hold your hand up. I want to show you what the Holy Spirit taught me one day. The words of this book are supernatural. Hebrews 4 says they are living. They are alive. They're active. They're like the sharpest sword of the universe that can pierce to the deepest place of things. Deep in the hidden parts. Now one day I'm just reading. I'm reading through. Now my wife, the way she reads her Bible, she'll do three chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New. She'll do a Psalm and Proverbs. She likes to do it that way. I don't like to do it that way. I want to start at the front and go to the back because I want to stay in the flow of what's happening in the story. So I'm just reading through Psalms. I get to Psalm 19 where the psalmist is talking about there's nine things that the scripture will do for a person. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit says, Steve, I'm going to change your life today. Are you ready? And it's from this verse. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. And it restores the what? Soul. And I went, oh, Lord. See, I couldn't figure out why just reading the scriptures, even if it didn't stick in my head, why I felt better. I felt like walking with Jesus. I felt like forgiving. I felt like living. I felt like loving. I didn't want to quit. I had faith just by reading the scriptures Look at the little chart. You are a spirit. What are you? You're eternal. That, that's the real you. You have a soul. Everyone say soul, which is made up of the mind, will, and emotions. Those two are eternal, and you live in a body. Luckily, one day, we're going to get new bodies. Awesome. The word of the Lord is perfect. It will restore the soul, mind, will, and emotions. And here's what I found out. I very rarely got discouraged as long as I was getting up, getting my cup of coffee, and reading. It just never touched me. Things didn't bother me. I felt like, man, I got an injection of power. Just by read, but when I stayed out, within two days, I'm thinking negative. I get discouraged. Everything bothers me because my soul is empty. Do you know why a lot of people leave the ministry? They say about 90% leave the ministry before they're 65. It's because their souls get lean. It's not because they get overworked. They're working on an empty Tank of gas. And number four, the last one. The scriptures are your greatest weapon 
against the one who hates you. He is an adversary. They can't read your mind, but you are observed every single day. And things are notated about you. They know your weaknesses. They know who you're hanging out. And they want to destroy you. And one day I'm reading in chapter 6, put on the full armor of God that you can resist the evil one. And then I saw this, in the evil day. Have you had some days it seemed like Satan just said, I'm assaulting him. So, do you have a weapon? Would that be yes or no? Do you have a weapon? Do you carry it with you wherever you go? Are you in it every day? So, you have a weapon? Do you know to study to show yourself approved as a workman who knows how to rightly use the word of God? And do you know how to use it? If you're in a sword fight, you don't know how to use the sword, you're in trouble. And see, are you skilled in using your weapon? If you're a highway patrolman and you pull up and a couple of guys get out of the car and they, they got nine millimeters and they're blazing at you and that highway patrolman, he reaches down and goes, uh-oh, uh-oh. And Old West gunslingers used to say they were slapping leather. Oh, nothing there. He left his weapon Back at the headquarters. And are you good at using it? If you're a Marine in Afghanistan in the previous war, and you're out on a patrol, and you're the point person, and a firefight breaks out from three directions, the question is, do you have your weapon? Is it loaded? And can you use it? And I want to say the spiritual warfare we come against are a lot more vicious and lethal. Because in Afghanistan, I can see an enemy from the rooftop. But in spiritual warfare, our enemies can walk through walls invisible and hurt us and hurt our family. And we didn't even know they hit us. Let me tell you this story. Worship team, would you guys come out? I used to live in Shelby County. And whenever I drive down Highway 60 between Shelbyville and Frankfurt, I always see this historical marker. I always pull over. I always read it because it fires me up in a good way. It's the story of this guy, Major Bland Ballard, I think, Ballard County was named after him. This is the only drawing that I know of we have of him as an older man. But on March 31st, 1788, and on the Kentucky frontier, it was so dangerous to be here in the 1780s, they called it the bloody 80s. Because so many people lost their lives from Indian attacks. So it's just a regular morning. This is not the cabin. If the cabin till existed, I would hike six miles through the woods to where it was. I've never been there. I'm sure it's completely gone. But this is where the Ballard family lived. That morning at daybreak, 
There was a Delaware war party from across the Ohio River that had been there all night waiting for the sun to come up. They were in the corn. They were in the woods. They were hiding behind an embankment. And dad came out at about 5.30 in the morning as sun came up. He came up to hoe corn in the coolness of that morning and he was killed immediately his wife had gone out the front door at the same time to get water for the family she was mowed down oldest son was out with his dad he died instantly and two sisters of bland were also cut down Bland Ballard was 16 years of age. He was still in the cabin. He heard the shrieks of the girl. He heard the war hoops of the Delawares. And he knew what was happening. That 16-year-old boy ran to the mantle over the stone hearth. He picked off this Kentucky long rifle. He grabbed a hunting knife and a tomahawk. And in 10 seconds, he was out the front door to do what he could. Now, I don't know the details, but I do know this. That Kentucky long rifle shoots one time, and it takes 45 seconds for a good rifleman to reload it, maybe a minute. And if he had any pistols, flintlock pistols, it would be one shot, and then it's tomahawk and hunting knife. Let me tell you what that 16-year-old boy did. He dispatched in 10 minutes six older, stronger warriors and ran the rest of them off and saved the rest of the children. Say, Steve, why do you tell me this? That boy knew how to fight, knew how to use a weapon, and he knew it was life and death. Let me tell you what, you're going to be faced with stuff this year that's going to be life and death. And you better have your weapon, and you better know how to use it, and you you better be willing, instead of running, you go for the Word of God, and you run out the door, and you make a difference. So what I'm asking you today this book. There's people around the world that love Jesus. They don't have it. And yet you got 10 of them at your house and you still don't read them. I'm asking you this year to get ready for what's coming. For the lies and the deception of what Satan wants to throw your way. Because the antidote is a truth of the promises of God because he wins every time. And it's just like Ballard. If you can carry your weapon, if you know your weapon, you can use your weapon, you will win every fight. Every fight. Because that's who you serve. So I'm going to ask that you join me this year. Would you do it? Now, I started when I was 18. It took me two years to read the entire Bible. But the next time, it took me a year and a half. The next time, it took me a year. The next time, it took me seven months. 
and I've been doing it ever since. And I'm going to ask you today, maybe you used to read, but you've just gotten out of the habit because the devil wants to keep you out of this book. So will you commit to reading? And I'm going to pray. We're going to do a couple of things. I'm going to pray for you. If you want to ask God's Spirit to give you a hunger for God's Word this year, and you will commit to making that a first thing, I'm going to get up, I'm going to read the Scriptures, and I'm going to do it methodically. And next week, I'm going to show you how to do it. Even if you've never done it before, I'll make it simple for you. I'll show you how to do it. So if you want me to pray... God would give you a supernatural hunger for God's word. Would you stand up right now? Let me pray for you. Would you stand up? Stand up right now. Stand up because you're believing in faith. But you're going to have something after today you've never had before. And that's a hunger to know God. And you're going to start your day reading. No matter how long it takes, you're going to read. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the family here, your sons and daughters. Holy Spirit, release a divine burden and a love for the scriptures. I'm not the teacher, you are. And I pray for tender hearts, for determination, even when we fail to get back up in the next day, I'm going to read. And even when we miss it, not to be discouraged, we're just going to keep back until we read the scriptures. Release that gift and grace today in Jesus' name. And would you take the Lord's Supper? Take the supper. This is the greatest way to start our year off. There's power in the communion of the Lord Jesus. Take the bread of the promise in your right hand. Hold it up. Father, I just thank you for the the Son of God and His willingness to come to be broken so we could be healed. Lord, we embrace healing and we say to you, we're on your team today. Take and eat in Jesus' name. And likewise, take the cup, open it up, most powerful commodity, the blood of Christ, forgiveness for all those who partake. If you're a child of the living God, take it now for remission of our sins in Jesus' name. As we continue to worship, I want to say the altar is open. It's always open. If you want to come and do business with God, Come and meet him here.
Give us hearts like Mary. Lord, that this year we could just sit at your feet. Lord, it said that Mary sat at your feet and listened to you. Lord, I pray that we would learn daily to sit at your feet and listen to you. Lord, because you are our source. You are our wisdom. You are our true life. And we love you. We thank you. Your presence is such a gift to us. Lord, I pray just a blessing over everyone that came this morning, that they would leave with a sense of your love and your peace and your encouragement of just all the things that you have in store for them this year. I bless all of them in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you all have a great day. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.